When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. It is Purple Daily on Score North on 1500scorenorth.com and the Score North app. Rami Makloff in the TCL Broadcast Studios, part of 36 Hours of Purple, presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. 36 hours straight of Purple Talk, all the way through the first round of the NFL Draft, 1500scorenorth.com and the Score North app. I am alongside Matthew Collar for the next two hours. Collar, are you ready to go? Uh, he's still working his way into the studio here. Oh, is that why? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll get All there. Right. We've had a video stream thing yeah. going, and uh, yours is broken, Jonathan, yep. so you can signal me nope, in any way, shape, or form. We're running Collar's behind. not there, so I didn't know if he was in your studio or not, because we're all in separate studios. Lots coming up here in the next couple hours, including Dan Shanka of OurLads.com. He's coming up at 6.30, and really... Nobody better. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. That might offend some, including people who I respect and admire and love in this industry. But nobody better. Dan Shanka, the OG draft scout. He's going to be joining us coming up at 630. I have a draft sim that I literally just did while Mackie and Judd with Rami was going on because I can multitask Jonathan. I got that ready to go. I want to run it by uh, Matthew Collar. PFF didn't give me a great grade. I disagree with PFF. I'm just going to go ahead and say I disagree with PFF. You disagree with the smart yes. guys. Yes. The data I, scientists. Yes, exactly. That doesn't seem like a smart plan. Am I the you, first you, you, one to do it, Jonathan? People are doing just that when it comes to much more important stuff oh, right yeah, now. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so for sure. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just disagree with the smart data guys and say I, I, I really like this draft. This is I've done a handful. I'm not Matthew Collar. I don't do draft sims round the clock all day long and grade draft sims for other people. When I'm not doing them myself, but I've done a handful, and this is probably the best one that I've come up with yet. Is uh, the one that I just did during Mackie and Judd with Rami? Do I have collar yet? Do I have my co-host? For Sorry the next about that. Of I was literally just in the other room, but finishing up an article, and uh, here I am. Hello, how are you? I'm I'm good. You want to hear what my article's about? Yes, absolutely. Okay, I've got five home run scenarios for the Vikings on draft night. Okay. Would you like to hear I what they def- are? I would most definitely like okay. to hear what they are. Okay, you could tell me. Do you want NFL films music for these five? Why not? Let's go. 
Do I want NFL Films music? That's really a question you almost never need to ask. If I was doing anything, (laughs) golf courses are open now, right? When I putt, I want NFL Films music. (laughs) I just want NFL Films music following me around. I feel like it would give. I think I feel like it would put a a a strut in my stride if that makes any sense. (laughs) And Matthew Collar's approaching the 18th green to to putt to win the Masters. Here we go. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, so with that, here are my five home run scenarios. The first one is land a top tackle and cornerback at 22 and 25. And that doesn't necessarily mean like Makai Becton and C.J. Henderson, guys who are top 10, but top like as in Josh Jones from Houston or as in Jalon Johnson okay. from Utah. Like if you can get two guys that you really like and think are great fits, maybe A.J. Terrell corner at tackle and corner, then you have hit a home run at 22 and 25 on night one. Do you okay. agree with that? I, I do. I actually do. Okay. Then number two is... I'll tell you why in a second. Okay. Go ahead. Well, do you want to tell me why now? Well, because I just did a draft sim, and, and my you fir- took a corner. My and first tackle. two picks were Makai Becton and AJ Terrell, the okay, two you guys well, who you, you just mentioned. There you go. Home run be, in the first round. So I listened to. I spent time while you were on with uh, Mackie and Judd watching former Vikings head coach Mike Tice break down the offensive linemen. He d- he has a video a podcast mm-hmm. that he does. And uh, he had Makai Becton as number one on his draft board, and I would imagine since he's an offensive line guy that a lot of offensive he line knows. coaches do, and I'd be stunned things. if Makai Becton got to 22. But you never know. So that's that's scenario number one that I think is a home run. Scenario number two is that they trade down to a late first or early second round pick and pick up another day two pick. So you move from, say, 22 to 29, and someone gives you their third round pick to get there and maybe more. Okay. I could get down with that. I feel like... Because I've 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 said this before to you, Collar. I feel like people get more excited about assets like draft picks and yep. cap space than they do about the actual dude. And I feel like I <laughs> yeah. feel like on draft day, people want the the biggest, best, highest draft pick that they can get. And it's always a little bit deflating for a fan base when you're trading down and giving up the yep. higher, bigger, better yep. pick. Yep. Yep. And. Uh, I think it's not a sexy thing to do, but it's a smart thing It often do. makes sense. Yeah. Yes. In this particular draft, uh, earlier today on Purple Daily, we had Eric Edholm on, and he was talking about how picks 20 through 60, he thinks that there's a lot of very similar talent. It's really stuffed with very, very good players from the late first, really all the way through the early third round. So if you, you can pick up another that, third though? round. No, I do. I actually do. From doing a study on this closely over the last couple of weeks to prepare for the NFL draft, I mean, there are guys who rank 50th on some big boards and some top 50s who are projected first-round picks by other people and have great resumes. I'll give you an example. LSU's Christian Fulton. I've seen some people who have him as a late second-round pick. He was unbelievable at LSU, and other people have him as like a top 20 draft pick. So, you know, if those are the types of players who are potentially available in the mid to late second, now, um, you're are, in pretty good shape. Are they saying that to say that there are that many good players in this draft, or are they saying that to say there's nobody really sets themselves apart from the field? No group of guys, I should say, is setting themselves apart from the rest of the field. Is it a good thing well, or a bad thing? 
that 20 to 60, like you said, is pretty much the same guys. No, I think it's a good thing, especially if you're the Vikings and you have five picks between 22 and 105. That, that puts you in a great spot for this draft. And in this scenario, you're getting even more draft capital than that by moving down. The reason it's a good thing is the top 20 or top 15 prospects or so are almost across the board set of what everyone thinks they are. So take a guy like Andrew Thomas or someone like Jeff Okuda, Chase Young. There's not a whole lot of debate who the elite prospects of this draft are. But after that, I mean, just for example, with the receivers, Jerry, Judy, Henry, Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, everybody loves them. After that, there's all sorts of debate of which guys would fit where and, and which have... You know, what types of skill sets, like, uh, do you want Denzel Mims? Do you want LaVisca Chenault? Do you want, you know, uh, Justin Jefferson? All these different guys that, that might have very similar grades and bring you different type of qualities and have equal chance of succeeding. It's just that it's hard to separate those three from each other. And I LaVisca think that that, is a great name, by the way. Yeah, no, he, LaVisca Chenault, Jr., actually. Terrific um, name. So... Um, congratulations. Wait, there's to another LaVisca Chenault walking around LaVisca, somewhere? LaVisca. LaVisca. Chenault, yeah. Okay. Uh, senior, I guess. Wow. I mean, there must be. Um, so anyway, if you're the Vikings and you could pick up another day two pick and move back late in the first or early in the second, you're going to lose nothing by moving back and gain something by getting another pick in the third that could potentially be a very good player. I like it. Okay. Our also next a good option. Not home, the, Like you said, not sexy, but maybe the smartest option. Our next home run scenario in an article that is going to publish soon on scorenorth.com. And the Score North app. Totally free. One-stop shop for all your written content. And don't forget that you can, by downloading it, win $1,000. That's right. All you got to do for our 1K draft day giveaway, Matthew Collar. Funny you should bring that up. Yeah, Open the Score it? North app or download it if you haven't already. And what's wrong with you if you haven't already? Register. Enter through listener rewards in the menu. Enter the name of the player you think will be picked. If that player is picked, you're entered to win $1,000. That's simple. Done. This one I'm not so sure is possible, but you know I wouldn't count it out. Trade Anthony Harris for a second-round pick. So, as I mentioned, teams are going to value these second-round picks pretty highly, so it's hard to see. But once the picks start flying off the board, say you were a team that thought you were going to get Antoine Winfield Jr. or Xavier McKinney, and then all of a sudden you don't. And for me, there's a drop-off there after those two to your Grant Delpits and Terrell Burgesses of the safety group that are not quite as good. So let's say you're desperate for a safety. The top two guys come off the board, and you're like, ah, what do we do? Maybe we should trade a second-round pick for Anthony Harris, who's a very, very good player, especially as a deep safety who can make plays, get interceptions. Um, if the Vikings are looking to create that cap space to use it for other areas, or if Anthony Harris simply tells them, look, guys, I am not going to sign a long-term contract extension with you. I don't like your offers, so trade me. Then get the best you can. If they got a third, it would be okay. But a second-round pick, that would be a home run. Two questions about Anthony Harris. One, you're right. Teams change the way they value players or what they're willing to give up for a guy on draft day because of the way that the board falls. And if there is a team that's dead set on finding a safety in this draft and second round rolls around and any safety that they had interest in is not there, maybe they do make an offer like that to the Vikings. But if a team was willing to give up a second round pick up and up until now, Anthony Harris wouldn't be he wouldn't be a Viking anymore, would he? Correct. That's that's a deal yeah. that they would they would have already taken if it was offered, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. The other question I have is, did you see uh Dan Patrick's report that Trent Williams is going to get a first round pick? So that 
to me, the value yeah, of the... I have a tough time buying that, though, don't you? Yeah, but if he's a first-round pick, then Anthony Harris is worth a second-round pick, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, and that's how the formula could change. I mean, if, uh, say, Jamal Adams does get traded and he gets traded for a first-round pick, and then, again, maybe that team that, that got left out of that party, it goes, okay, now what are we going to do? Uh, I guess since he went for a first, we could get Harris for a second. And it's not like Harris is just an okay player. Right. Over the last two years, he has been a tremendously great player, ranked second best safety by pro football focus. I mean, uh, he would be worth, if you're a team that's in win-now mode, he is 100% worth that because even the guy you draft in the second round, who knows when he'll be good or if he'll be good. You know that Anthony Harris will be right away, which is why a team like Cleveland was looking at him, and I wouldn't be stunned if they circled back to Cleveland and said, "Mm, you still kind of interested in Anthony Harris, even though they signed some other guys at that position, like Andrew Sandejo is starting more likely than not. So Anthony Harris for a second is a home run. Next one is to trade 22 or 25 for a star current player. And uh, my reasoning here, Rami, is as you've mentioned, that they should be all in with Kirk Cousins on a contract extension on winning. And there's risk drafting any second rounder. You hope the player's good, but you never really know. If you could trade him for a current very, very good player, say like New England's Joe Thune, who is uh, out on the trade market, then I, I you have to call it a win, even if there's some risk to it. Or this goes for Trent Williams, too. E- even if you traded one of those guys for Trent Williams, it's still a win because you came away from draft night with a tremendously talented player. Honestly, of the ones that you've said so far, as we try and figure out what and put the pe- puzzle pieces together and figure out what the Vikings' intent is for 2020, that makes the most sense to me. Tra- trading Stephon Diggs for draft picks doesn't help you win now. Flipping those draft picks into a star player that can help you win now, especially after you invested two more years in Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman are still employed, that actually makes the most sense to me of any of the scenarios that you've laid out so far. That's depending on who the player is. You're leaving it generic and just saying star player? Yeah, I'm saying star player because, you know, guys show up all of a sudden out of nowhere. Odell Beckham's name just pops up out of nowhere. And even if they traded 25 for Odell Beckham, I would still have to call it a win, even though it's risky. There's a difference between a risky and a win. If you come away from draft night with a superstar wide receiver in your hands, you win. You get a home run. Right. No, I, I, that's like I said, that makes the most sense to me. If it's Trent Williams, if it's Odell Beckham Jr., I don't know what other names are being thrown out around there. Those seem to be the two most prominent. That makes the most sense to me in terms of now it's clear that it's a win-now season. That's where they're putting all their chips, or at least a majority of their chips, into winning in 2020, not building for the future. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I mean, there's a difference between are you making the most shrewd move with your draft capital and how much better did you actually get after uh, draft night? Okay, final one is take the receiver who slips. So, you know, Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, those guys are probably going pretty high. C.D. Lamb, same thing. And it's unlikely that any of those three fall to 22. But someone like Justin Jefferson of LSU, I really like what he would look like as a Minnesota Viking. If he's the receiver that slips, Denzel Mims has also been talked about quite a bit. Some people think that as many as five wide receivers could be taken or six wide receivers in the first round. Great receiver draft. Take the receiver who slips and you get a good grade from me. That seems like a prudent decision with a what many people are saying is a very deep wide receiver class in this draft is to let some of... And, Collar, you've talked about this, the fact that the Vikings have actually had 
pretty good luck in taking wide receivers a little bit later in the draft rather than using a first or a second round pick on it. Are you saying slips to the second round, third round? How far are you willing well, to I'm let a guy 22. slip? I'm saying 22. I'm saying if one of those top oh, receivers... Okay. Now, it's All right. hard to see Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs or C.D. Lamb, but if they do and you take them, you get an automatic win. And I would say the same thing even goes for Justin Jefferson. One of those guys, of those four, if they end up at 22, you get a home run. Are any of these wide receivers, they say it's a deep wide receiver class, are any of these guys a surefire thing, a, a Julio Jones type or mm. a Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald type? Those are the most recent names that come to mind for me of a surefire wide receiver. I think of the all of them, well, it depends on what you mean by surefire because I think that Jefferson is as close to a surefire as you can get, but not a surefire Julio Jones. A surefire, like this, is, this guy's going to be good in the NFL. He, not stud. But not all-time great stud. I don't think there's an all-time great prospect here. All there is is very, very good ones. So maybe you could end up with C.D. Lamb being one of the top. You know, he's the guy that is hardest to predict, too, because I really like him. You watch him, he breaks tackles, he goes up and gets it. But he was also playing in the Oklahoma offense that makes you look better than you are with pretty much everyone. Um so he's the one I like the most, I think, but Judy is the great route runner, and Ruggs is the Tyreek Hill, explosive, crazy fast type. Um, all of them have reason to think that they could be very good. I don't think that any of them have reason to say, oh yeah, this guy will be one of the five best wide receivers in the NFL what in a few years. What do you think years. they need most from a wide receiver right now? Because Stephon Diggs was, he was, he was the best deep threat in the NFL last year yeah. by, by various metrics. Is, the, is that what they, they need to go and find in a wide receiver is a guy who can stretch the field and be a deep threat? Um, you know, see, that's a tough question because in the past, Gary Kubiak's offenses have often had one wide receiver that they relied on really heavily as a possession guy, and then other receivers sort of fill roles, and then tight ends and running backs be really effective. So the Andre Johnson thing where you have the all-around guy who could do just about anything, and then the others um, were sort of fill-in guys. And even in 2014 with Baltimore, was Steve Smith was the do-everything receiver, and then Torrey Smith was the go-deep guy in the Gary Kubiak 2014 offense. So you could really... I think Kubiak is clever enough to take the best guy that they can find and use him the way he's supposed to be used. So if it is LaVisca Chenault, he's a guy that you want to throw bubble screens to, run reverses with, and he's going to be explosive and make plays. But if it's somebody like Michael Pittman, he is a a pure route runner type of guy, more of a possession-wide receiver who can go deep when you need him. I think you just take whichever guy is higher on your draft board and you ask Gary Kubiak, to, to fit him in because, you know, he doesn't have to be a Stefan Diggs replacement. He just has to be another guy who's bringing a, a positive element to your offense. You want me to run this uh, draft sim by you that yeah, I just did during Mackey before we talk with Dan Shonka coming up at 630? All right. Now, the first two guys off the board, I, I got to imagine based on one of your one of your five points there, you're going to like these first two guys that I took in the first round. Number 22, I got Mackay Becton, the tackle out of Louisville. And then at number 25, Clemson cornerback A.J. Terrell. That was my first-round picks for the I mean, Minnesota that's, a, that's an A right there. You see? 
That's what I thought too. I'll tell you what P. What grade PFF gave me when we're all said and done. Yeah, PFF preach. grades can be a little bit and, wonky. They they don't like Becton. They think he's high risk. I was just telling Jonathan before you made your way into the studio. It's it's 2020, man. We don't believe the data and the science anymore. Uh, <laughs> second round, I nabbed uh, guard Jonah Jackson out of Ohio State. I love Big Ten offensive linemen, especially interior offensive linemen. I think that they're they're the most. They're usually the most yep. NFL ready. And yep. if you can get that guy there That's at number a- 58. No, I think that's another very good pick. That's somebody that I've kind of had, even though he usually is gone on my draft sims, that I've sort of had earmarked for the Vikings. This next pick I got, Minnesota folks are going to like this, and PFF like this. It's the highest individually graded pick that I made on my board. Wide receiver Tyler Johnson slipped to yeah, me. Yeah, they love him. At number yep. 89. They love him. And I the think second, for, in the third round. For good reason. Uh, whoever gets Tyler Johnson is getting a guy with a, a very good chance to succeed based on what he did in college. I mean, if, you, if you're going down the list of check marks, okay, what correlates to success? Like, what do we hear about a guy that usually that player ends up working out? Route running ability, ability to separate, uh, go up and get it type of guy, you know, a, a baller with really great production in college. Like, all those things point to success. The only thing Johnson is lacking a little bit is probably his straight line speed. And I'm sure if he could do it again, he would have run at the NFL Combine because he wasn't able to run at his pro day. Um, but that made people wonder, all right, is that one of the reasons, is it the straight line speed that he isn't talked about as one of the top wide receivers? Because every other box he checks. Yeah, he's got the size. He's a good route runner. He's got great hands. Seems like somebody who uh, a quarterback can can count on and trust to be where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be there, and if he's open to catch the football. Uh, my fifth pick, last pick in the third round, I just I took the best the best available guy at a need for the Minnesota Vikings where they've lost a starter and need to plug a hole, and it was Bradley Anai, the uh, edge rusher out of Utah that I got at number 105. PFF gave me a grade of 65.9, and the pick that they really didn't like, and I don't understand this, Collar, was Mekhi Becton at number 22. They gave me a grade of 37.2 for getting Mekhi Becton at the number 22 spot. Yeah, that's one where I think pro football focus sees him as very high risk. Like, not necessarily a bad prospect by any means because of his size and his athleticism is very difficult to find ever in the NFL. I mean, you have to almost go back to someone like Bryant McKinney to find somebody this huge in athletics. So, you know, he kind of has that look of... Um, a, a very rare prospect that doesn't have a lot of com- uh, comparables, comparables. But the other thing, too, is that he actually just didn't have a lot of regular pass sets. So an interesting twist to Louisville's pass offense was that they did a lot of like shifting their pass protection. They moved Mekhi Becton around weirdly sometimes on the offensive line. It was a very strange offense. And so I think I read that he only had, in terms of true pass sets, where the quarterback drops straight back, You have to block somebody, and he throws it. He only had like 73 of those this last year. And Mike Tice, who I was watching before I came in here, break down uh, Mekhi Becton's game, was talking about how he's a better run blocker right now than he is a pass blocker. So he's a little bit more of a project in some ways, but just so freaky athletic that you have to take him at the very top. But I think, you know, if you're just looking at it from PFF's metrics, they're going to say, well, you know, I mean, he didn't score that high as a pass protector. And if you don't score that high in college as a pass protector, usually you don't work out in the NFL. Now, that's not true for everything. There's always exceptions, and he could be that. But that's what their system is saying, that if someone is an elite pass protector like Josh Jones, their system is really going to like him because those things have been found to, to be able to correlate 
pass protection grade in college, pass protection grade in the NFL. Did you see the uh, Peter Schrager report that we were discussing on uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami just before we wrapped up the show? Uh, I did not. So he says it's less of a report, more just speculation on his part. I guess I should clarify. Says two is a wild card. If Miami and Los Angeles pass in the top ten, which they very well very well might, it could be a longer evening than anyone expected. And this is this is kind of what I've been saying for about a week now, Collar. That it's not going to take that many teams. It's not twenty one teams that need to pass on Tua for him to to slip deep into the night. It's really three teams. It's a foregone conclusion that one team that needs a quarterback, the Bengals, are going to take Joe Burrow. And then after that, you look at the rest of the board and teams that need a quarterback to the extent that they would use a first-round pick on one, an asset that valuable, is is three teams that I can spot on the board. The Dolphins, the Chargers, and possibly the Raiders. And now I see a report, listener just passed this along to me, from me in Rappaport NFL Network, who says... The Dolphins have called the teams in front of them for a possible trade-up from number five and are gauging the price to come up to number three to potentially take an offensive tackle. We could see a run on tackles in the top ten like never before. If the Dolphins are trying to move up to get a tackle, that means that they'd be passing on to it. Now we're down to two teams, the Chargers and the Raiders, who would need to pass on him, in my eyes, for him to slip into the 20s and possibly to the Minnesota Vikings at 22. Um, so I don't think I, it's that crazy. Well, I gotta say, I gotta say this first. Though. Okay. Like I might buy a dolphin's helmet or something and wear it just because of the way that they have manipulated everyone with the smoke screen. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, yeah, you go dolphins, you do your thing. Uh, because it's been a mess of reports. We have no idea what the dolphins think. And I'm sort of laughing hysterically at everybody chasing their tails around of, like, well, wait, now they love Tua. Now they don't love Tua. Like, nothing they, nothing changed. Nobody's played any games in a really long time, and the Combine has been over for weeks and weeks, but yet here we are with different reports every single day of what's going to happen. I they mean, do seem to be the team that's there's more smoke around them than anybody else. How much of it is smoke screen? How much of it is fire? Nobody really knows, but they are a team that's putting up a lot. There's a lot of smoke coming out of Miami right now. Um. Yeah. Then that's the best part is that like they have become half dolphin, half smoke. Um. And it's just funny to watch everybody chase these rumors around and try to figure out what's going to happen when they don't really know. I mean, they could be trying to trade up to two to take Tua to make sure that Detroit doesn't take him at three, or you know, who knows? I I don't have any idea, but I do think that it's always possible a top quarterback prospect could drop because of the history of it happening there's so many guys that we could go back and say you know what through the entire draft process everyone had this guy as a top two pick or top three pick and then when push came to shove the league just didn't draft the guy that high that has happened with this particular guy i would be very stunned based on his college career and the type of prospect and potential that tua has Uh, I think the league is smart enough now to know you've got to draft this guy high. But I also thought that about Lamar Jackson. I couldn't believe Lamar Jackson dropped to 32 when Josh Allen and Josh Rosen were being taken ahead of him. Yeah, Judd keeps on repeating the refrain that Aaron Rodgers ain't happening to get it. I broke it to Judd last week. It already happened. His name is Lamar Jackson. He slipped further than Aaron Rodgers. And you're right, Collar. NFL teams... They they 
the NFL has gotten smarter. Front offices have gotten smarter over the last 10, 15 years. But that doesn't mean that there can't be one one fluky type of instance like a Lamar Jackson or like a Tua where they all, if you and I are right, because I'm also high on Tua, I think he's gonna he has a bright future. If you and I are right, it's it's not it wouldn't be that unprecedented for them to all in sort of a fluky way miss on this guy. It's happened before and I'm willing to bet if it's not Tua, it will happen again where all, if not most of the thirty two NFL teams miss on a top-flight quarterback in the NFL draft, and he slips right past all of them and falls into somebody's lap, whoever that might be, as long as it's not the Green Bay Packers, because I keep on saying if the Packers get a third consecutive Hall of Fame quarterback, I just quit football, (laughs) Collar. I quit football. I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. If they follow up Farvin Rodgers with a third Hall of Fame quarterback, I'm out. Well, I, I do think that there's a number of teams that are in there before the Vikings go that actually have a pretty good case to still need a quarterback. Um, take Oakland, for example. I don't think that John Gruden is sold on Derek Carr, and I also think that John Gruden would love to mold his own quarterback and get a ton of the credit for doing so. And uh, so even if it's there, how do you, if you're them, not draft Tua and then move on from Derek Carr? I mean, I I just have a really tough time seeing that happen, but I also leave the door open for just about anything because um, I'll give you an example. The other night in the WNBA draft, there was a player that in every mock was a first-round player. Every single mock that I saw. And having seen her play, I was confused by this. Um, but she ends up going in the third round after being a first-round. So we don't really know what's going on inside these teams. We're only guessing as best as we can. So we don't know what their medicals say on Tua. We don't know what their tape studies say on Tua, and maybe we're overrating him. I don't think we are, and I think he's going to end up with either number 5 or number 6 overall pick, but anything can happen. I said at the start of the show, Collar, I, I think you agree with me, the best in the business. In terms of in terms of media scout dudes, yes. the best in the business, Dan Shonka, is going to join us right after this. Purple Daily on 1500, scorenorth.com, scorenorth app. 36 hours of purple presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group rolls right along right after this. The Minnesota Vikings have selected wide receiver from Marshall University, Randy Moss. With the seventh pick in the 2007 NFL Draft, the Minnesota Vikings select Adrian Peterson. That highlight, courtesy of ESPN. The horn is just the horn. That's not from ESPN. We have that in our sound system. Rami Makloff, Matthew Collar, special edition of Purple Daily. That's part of 36 Hours of Purple, presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. Score North, providing 36 Hours of Purple Talk all the way through the first round of the NFL Draft on 1500scorenorth.com and the Score North app. And right now, you can enter to win $1,000. We're giving away $1,000 to someone who correctly produced who the first draft pick will be by the Purple this week. All you got to do is open the Score North app, download it if you don't already have it, and if you don't, again, what is wrong with you? Register, enter through listener rewards in the menu, enter the name of the player who you think will be picked, and you will be entered to win $1,000 if you select the right player. We were talking during Mackie and Judd with Rami, heard Adrian Peterson getting selected right there. I was absolutely gobsmacked. 
buddy of mine used that earlier today, and I've been looking for an opportunity to use it myself. Gobsmacked, Collar. Good job. Watching Randy Moss slip down the board the way that he did to the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings or otherwise, what's the most surprised you've been by a guy slipping down the board? Mm, as we were just talking about the question. possibility of Tua doing that before the break. Uh, let's see. So in terms of Vikings-related... I remember listening to the draft on the radio when the Vikings picked Randy Moss. And I remember whoever was doing the coverage was talking about, like, this guy's a thug and whatever else. And I was like, Randy Moss is now my favorite player of all time. And I want this guy to catch seven zillion touchdowns just to shove it up your rear for saying stuff like that about Randy Moss. And I didn't know anything about him, but I just thought, like, what a terribly rude thing to say. And... And and then it played out exactly that way. He caught literally seven million touchdowns. Um, but like him coming out is the sort of starting point of always draft the weed guy for me. Um, I never would have expected him to draft that drop that low. I think had I been really dialed into the draft at that time, it was more of just this thing that sort of happened and you read about in the paper. Who would our team get? Okay, oh, we got this guy, huh? All right. Um, so that so that's quite different from where, what it's become now. Teddy Bridgewater is definitely one that surprised me when it happened because Johnny Manziel went before him, which didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. And then it came out that Johnny Manziel went before him because he texted the owner of the Browns and said, you got to take me like that's how you got drafted. That's how you get your dream job. That's all that Teddy had to do. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, I texted Phil and said, I want to work with Rami (laughs) Macklaw. That's a, that's how I got here. <laughs> Lucky um, you. <laughs> that is one of the all-time, I can't believe that that happened, because Teddy had put together this great career at Louisville. He'd done a ton of winning. He was everything that you want for a franchise quarterback and talked about as being the number one overall pick, and then he just keeps dropping and dropping and dropping down the board. It made absolutely no sense to me at that time how anyone could look at Johnny Manziel. And I liked Manziel, and I thought, oh, this is kind of a fun fun player. Maybe he'll be like Doug Flutie or something, like a short guy who runs around and makes plays and has all this enthusiasm. But for Bridgewater to drop that much was really stunning. And if the Vikings hadn't traded up, the guy would have ended up being a second-round pick, despite being talked about as being way up. The other one is Jimmy Clausen. I remember one of the draft analysts from ESPN bet their career on Jimmy Clausen. It was either Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay that they said something what do you mean, like, "Bet their career." I, I, I mean that I think it was Kuyper. There's a tweet out there somewhere about this where he said, "If Jimmy Clausen doesn't become a Hall of Famer, then I'll quit or something. Or if he doesn't become a, a Pro Bowl quarterback, then I'll just stop doing this." And obviously, he didn't. Um, but Jimmy Clausen being a second round pick was one of those. Oh, so everybody who hyped this guy up was kind of full of it then, or didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, that. By the way, I'm not really quitting football if the Viking if the Packers get to a. I'll, I'll be I'll be just as hypocritical as Mel Kiper or whoever did that. I'm not really going to quit football if the if the Packers land a third consecutive Hall of Fame QB. But that's you, you probably don't want to like seriously step out onto a limb like that. Warren Sapp is the guy. That, oh, sure, that yeah. sticks out to me, Collar. And that, that again, falls under the category of always take the weed guy. Wasn't that the knock on him that he failed a drug test 
And even though he was consensus, much like Chase Young this year, like he he was he seemed like a surefire prospect and a guy who was going to wreak havoc on an interior offensive line wherever he ended up playing defensive tackle and slipped to the Buccaneers simply because he smoked a little bit of weed when he was at the University of Miami. You just should you should just assume that every every player that you draft from the University of Miami has puffed on a joint or a blunt or something <laughs> yeah. at least once yeah, over the course worse, yeah. over the course of their time yes. at the U. So I don't understand why that surprised people. Um, but he that that's another guy who slipped because of something that in hindsight relatively small, relative, relatively minor infraction. That was another one where um, I remember watching a lot of college football then and thinking that Warren Sapp was going to be the best player in the NFL. Like um, Syracuse University had Donovan McNabb at the time, and those two teams went up against it a bunch of times, Syracuse and Miami, which wouldn't mean a whole heck of a lot now. But at that time, those were two very good programs, and Warren Sapp just ate them alive every time. It's like... Where did they get this guy? And like, oh yeah, that's right. Miami gets every guy uh, along that time. But if someone had only smoked weed, then that and came from Miami during that era, then like, wow, you're a choir boy. Uh, that, <laughs> right. That's that's like only drinking in the '80s if you were in a hair band or something. And like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you must be uh, one of one of God's sheep, I, I guess. Uh, so yeah, the war and the Warren Sapp thing. It wasn't ever even confirmed that he had. It was just a rumor that somebody put out there and that's why i respect and love what the miami dolphins are doing now they're putting everything out there i wonder if they assigned people they went into a meeting and was like all right you tell them that tua has a bad hip and you tell them we want to tackle and you tell them we're drafting javon kinlaw like just well we're gonna get everything out of the way there and and uh you know you tell them we think justin herbert is the most accurate quarterback we've ever seen you know because i think all this stuff is fun but yeah, those are some of the shockers. And if you want to play another fun game with sort of the draft past, I like to look at quarterbacks and what we thought of them coming out of the draft and whether we turned out to be right. Okay. So I want to go through from 2010 to maybe, maybe last year. We don't really know yet. And you tell, I'll give you the first couple of quarterbacks and you tell me which ones you thought were going to be great. And, uh, like if you were, if you were dead wrong about that. Okay. So in 2010, it was Bradford, Tim Tebow, Jimmy Clausen, and Colt McCoy were the first four. How, 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 what did you think of them then compared to how it played out? Um, Bradford, he, my, my memory isn't the greatest caller. So I, he was, he had some injury problems in college already, right? Wasn't, didn't he have sort of an injury prone label on him coming out of college, if I remember correctly? That I don't remember very well. It's possible that he did, but I thought that the biggest injuries he had were actually in the NFL. Okay. He had the two ACLs. There was not, I mean, if you watched Sam Bradford play in college, there, there was no doubt, and you've, you've talked about it in terms of his, his Vikings tenure. There was no doubt that that guy, had all the tools to to play quarterback at the NFL level. His yeah. arm, his his decision making, his awareness, his pocket presence. Not the greatest athlete. He didn't have the greatest escapability. But I don't, from what I recall, there wasn't much doubt that that guy could play at the next level. It was. I I want to say there was a question of whether or not he could stay healthy, but I could be misremembering that. Uh, Tim Tebow. I just and. People get offended when I say this because they think people attack Tim Tebow because of his religion. 
Tua is just as religious as Tim Tebow. The difference is he can throw a football. That's why I'm high on Tua, and I was not that high on Tim Tebow. I never thought Tim Tebow would translate to the NFL level because he just didn't throw the ball well. He had a weird, like, looping yes. delivery. Yes. Great athlete. I think, I think Tim Tebow, if he had stuck around the NFL and actually... I've read that people offered him a role similar to this, and he was he was not willing to do it because he was dead set on being a quarterback. I think he he could have been a Taysom Hill type, yeah, maybe yeah. even maybe even a better version of Taysom Hill before Taysom Hill obviously was ever in the NFL. There is no doubting the athlete that Tim Tebow is. I just my number one uh, requirement that you have to fill the first box you have to check to play quarterback in the NFL is throw the football. Right. <laughs> yeah. and he, yes. And he didn't check that box. Yep. So yep. I never really believed that he was, he was going to do much at the next level. And it's got nothing to do with his faith. I'm all, I'm, I, I have no problem with people's faith and religion. I believe in well, God myself. I just also need to believe that you could throw the football to play in the NFL. So this, this is funny though, whenever that comes up, because it's like, do you know anything about football and how many guys are religious? Because in any given locker room, it's like 97%. Right. Yeah. I mean, these guys come from Alabama. Like, I mean, if I was going to discriminate against every guy who, who thanked Jesus for, for, for a win <laughs> or a touchdown everyone. pass or pointed to the sky when yeah. they threw a touchdown, I would hate three quarters of the league. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you know what I that's mean? Right. Like, that's, that, that would be a really tough, Tough bias to have. Who were the next two guys that that you named off to me there, Collar? Uh, it was uh, Jimmy Clausen and Colt McCoy. Yeah, I never really thought much of those guys. Colt McCoy was he was he was scrappy. Like he had he had that thing in college where he could he could people would follow him. It seemed like his yeah. teammates yep. really loved him. He was a good leader, but again, he just didn't have a lot of the tools and qualities that I thought it took to make it to the NFL. I always looked at Colt McCoy as like, and this is what he ended up being, a really good career backup. Like a a guy that you would be glad to have if your number one quarterback went down. And that's that's what he ended up being. So I loved Sam Bradford coming out because at the time he was actually a really good athlete. By the time he got to Minnesota, uh, that was all pretty much gone from injuries, but he was big and could kind of move. Not that he would just like run around, but he was athletic in some of his movements and he was big and hard to take down. Tebow, I was like you never in on always thought this slow throwing motion, this hideous throwing motion is never going to work. And I also think that this so excuse me, celebrity thing isn't going to work either. That people are not, unless you're great, people are not going to be rubbed the right way by, you know, you being like a member of the Beatles in terms of your personality. Because if if you're Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, you can have that. But you have to be at that level to go along with that or, or it's going to rub people the wrong way. Clawson, I could not stand, was thinking that he was going to be a bust all along. And Colt McCoy was the exact opposite. I thought... Colt McCoy, man, this guy could be Jim McMahon. He's got this like winner's mentality. He's tough. He finds a way to win, all that sort of stuff. And it started to work out a little for Cleveland. I don't know if you remember this. He was left in a game clearly with a concussion that he ended up losing and never really recovered from that. Cleveland moved on, and then in Washington he was a backup. I agree with you that you know I didn't have it set for him to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but I thought, 
Yeah, I think this guy could be a winner. Um, he had intangibles. Like yeah, I said, yeah. his teammates yeah. seemed to love him, love him and, and would run through a wall for him and had a really good winning record uh, in college at Texas. I just didn't see the, the tools, the physical tools, that I thought a guy would need to, to be a premier NFL quarterback. Okay, let's go through these quicker because that By was way, a lot of 2010 quarterback analysis. I didn't do this coming out of the, <laughs> coming out of the break. I teased Dan Shonka, the best scout in, in the media. Uh, he had to push to seven. So we're going to talk with Dan at seven. I forgot to mention that coming out of the break. People hate when you don't pay off a tease collar. So I ah, wanted to make sure I do. clarified that. So, Go right ahead, sir. 2011, Cam Newton, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder. How did you feel about that? And uh, Andy Dalton and Colin Kaepernick, too, in that Love Cam Newton. I love Cam Newton yep. coming out of college. I thought I felt very much about him the way that you were talking about Randy Moss. Like the the more I heard uh-huh. bad yep. about Cam Newton, the more I was convinced that this guy was going to be really good at the next level. Yeah, and the worst thing that he did in college, correct me if I'm wrong, Collar, but the worst thing that he did in college was he and his dad seemed to have um for lack of a better term, a side business for him to make money off his first name. First player ever in NCAA history to do something. <laughs> set, a re- set a record. First player to ever take money to go to a university. I don't think he was even taking money from the university, or at least that's not what he was what he was caught for. Again, I could be wrong. I'm sure somebody will correct me. At Rami is tweeting if you want to do that. I think it was it was an autograph deal or something like that where he he and his oh, dad yeah, had to figure out a way yes. to make money yep. off his name, image, and likeness, which should be happening anyways like at the very least that's what should be happening at the collegiate level if you're not just going to pay for play you should allow these kids to make money off their name image and likeness so i really had very little doubt about camp how could you doubt cam newton coming out of college like the dude is six what six five can run like the wind yeah has a cannon for an arm was a pretty good decision maker at the college level just one just one football games like i didn't understand how you could look at the football player even with the off the field stuff which again didn't really put into question his character his judgment for me because of what the infraction was but how did anybody look at cam newton coming out of college and be like nah that guy he's not going to make it at the next level yeah, there are some guys who you can go back and find some draft experts including one who is the general manager of the oakland raiders now or the uh, vegas raiders sorry jonathan um that's okay but, i said uh, san diego Chargers. yeah i know what happens so. but uh who had blaine gabbert higher and that is the most preposterous nonsense ever i mean the guy was coming out of Missouri and he threw like 20 touchdowns and you're saying he's better than the a guy who had a huge comeback against Alabama and is a, an absolute force and one of the great athletes to ever play the position like come on man uh so I felt the same way about Cam Newton I was all in with him I will admit to being all in on Jake Locker too loved the grittiness of him loved that he was tough thought the same thing about Colt McCoy like this guy wins a lot of games that he's not supposed to and has you know, comeback wins for Washington and things like that. And he might have been good, but the injuries just piled up on that guy. I honestly can't recall what I thought of Jake Locker coming out of college. I don't even have an answer for that one, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was uh, I was very high on him, very down on Blaine Gabbard and Christian Ponder. And I can't say that I saw any TCU football games to judge Andy Dalton on that one. Uh, the Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin, Ryan Tannehill, Brandon Whedon draft in 2012. Andrew Luck, everyone was all in on. No yeah, one questioned was, whether he'd be that great. That was a no-brainer. I really liked uh, Robert Griffin the third, but maybe not quite as much as some other people did um, because I wondered. I, I just had seen a few games, and I thought all he does is like either run or throw it a thousand yards. 
And uh, Brandon Whedon, that pick will still always be hysterical. Like, what? The guy is 46 years old, and you're drafting him with a first-round pick? And I forgot about that. What, didn't he try to go play Major League Baseball yes, and yeah. then decided to play in college yep. football? And I'm right. like, wait, he can't throw strikes, so you think he's going to throw accurate NFL passes? <laughs> uh, but the, but the, one, the one, the first guess, and I have some bad first guesses that go very wrong, so I'm not saying I had this right, but Russell Wilson is the one of the best first guesses that I've ever had because I watched his Gruden QB camp, and I was like, this dude's going to overcome his height, man. This guy wants it, and he's extremely intelligent, and you know, draft that guy. And I remember the Bills GM saying the only reason they didn't draft Russell Wilson was just because he was short. I'm like, that's it? That's the only reason was because he was short? You've got to be kidding me. I was in Wisconsin, Collar, and i got to admit, I didn't I didn't see it with Russell Wilson. Hmm. Now, I, I only saw him play for a year when he transferred from uh, – he was a graduate transfer from NC State yeah. and played for one year, though. So I didn't have the, the longest resume necessarily to look at of games that I watched him week in and week out. But even having watched every snap of his for a season – with the Badgers, I I didn't I didn't see it at the next level, and I don't know I don't know if it was the height. I can't tell you uh, looking back what it was that I didn't like about him. That very well could be it. I I could have been falling for the old narrative that you have to be a certain height to be a a quarterback of a certain level at the NFL level. But I I just I didn't see it with him when he was coming out of college. Give me some of the other names that you just reeled off there, okay. real quick. Real quick on Russell Wilson. The reason I loved him so much was the stats were just preposterous. Like they were. So- so good. 109 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. He was super fast. And as a lifelong Madden player, I always have a fast quarterback. So I'm going to lean a little biased toward fast okay. quarterbacks. RG3, Ryan Tannehill, Brandon Whedon, Brock Osweiler. I liked Tannehill for the novelty of it, the wide receiver yes, turned quarterback. Yeah, yeah. That that was kind of cool. Also, he's just an athlete, man. You You look at that guy and he's tall he can run he can launch it like he has the physical tools he only had i believe one year as a quarterback from a converted wide receiver at the college level so i don't i don't think i was that sold on him necessarily because he didn't have the track record of playing the position but i remember just being intrigued and fascinated by the physical tools that he had Mm -hmm. i loved rg3 coming out of college my concern with him is the same as it is for every running quarterback, yeah. which is you're, you're going to take a beating, and how long can that last? I think RG3 was, I mean, he won he won rookie of the, he beat out Andrew Luck for rookie of the year yeah. when they both came out. I think he if he stays healthy, but I, there was just no chance of that because of his frame and his style of play and the fact that he was reckless. He didn't even yeah. avoid hits. Like Lamar Jackson is very good at avoiding the big hits. Yes, yeah. RG3 just didn't have that and seemed to run into contact Mm -hmm. more often than he should, and that always concerned me. I still think RG3 would have been a great quarterback if he could have stayed healthy. I just don't think there was any chance of that ever happening, to be honest. I do think it's a skill, for sure, is being able to avoid injuries as a quarterback, which is a fair concern about Tua. I had a coach in high school who played running back at the NFL level, Mm -hmm. and his advice was always, think of yourself and the defender as a door. And when you go to open a door, you only push one side of it. You don't push it in the middle. You push one side of it because that's the easiest way to get through a door. So he would always say the way to avoid the big hits and the big contact is line up your shoulder with their shoulder. Hmm. Don't take hits 
And he played running back at the NFL level, so he knew what he was talking about. He said, never take a hit full on. Never never square up with a guy. Whether you're on offense or you're on defense, never square up with a guy because even if you end up on top, if you're the hammer and they're the nail, so to speak, you're both going to come out of that thing hurting. Pick a side and line up your shoulders and try and take them out that way. Okay, so we don't have time to go through all these other drafts and how we felt about these guys. Plus, the book is not written on everybody still going forward. Uh, but give me... Past 2013, because they were they were all busts. Everyone is wrong about all those quarterbacks. <laughs> your like your best one nailed it, called it, and your worst one. Can you throw some names at me? I don't have the encyclopedic uh, memory tell, that you. I do. will tell you. Uh, well, I'm looking at the draft history okay. to get this too. I will tell you, Winston being a failure is my best. Like called it, that guy will not work out. Yeah, I just thought he was too much of a dumbass. He made too many bad yeah. decisions yep. off the field to make good decisions on the field. Yep. So that same year was Marcus Mariota. I would say that I missed on that one, but I wasn't like super high on him. Never was that high on him. Goff, Wentz, Paxton, Lynch, Christian Hackenberg, um, Trubisky, Mahomes, Watson. I mean, Mahomes, Watson. I, I loved both of those guys, but you know they should have. Been I didn't more see a ton of Mahomes, and I felt that or not. I'm sorry, Mahomes. I loved. I've, I told you before, it's a silly reason to be sold out a guy. But the thing that sold me on Patrick Mahomes was watching the John Gruden QB camp. Patrick Mahomes no, edition. That's a great reason. I, I I actually totally agree with you. His was so great, so great, and that, and and the tape because who was watching who was watching Texas Tech? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. That yeah. when you see the tape and the throws that this guy would make, and I remember Gruden looking at him and going, "You didn't need." He made some crazy off platform throw that went like fifty yes, yards down yep, the field, like a short stop. There, there was throw, no yep. there was nobody close to him, and Gruden goes, "You could have set your feet and made that throw. You were just trying to show people something, weren't you?" Yep. And Patrick <laughs> Mahomes got this big smile on his face, and he was like. Yeah, man. Sometimes I, I just like to show off and show people what I can do. And that that moxie, on top of the physical ability and just ability to throw from any arm mm-hmm. angle, any platform yep. whatsoever, that moxie really, really intrigued me. I said that draft, he was the best quarterback in the draft. I didn't think he was this good. I'd be I'd be lying to you if I said I did, but I thought he was the best QB in that draft and kind of kind of in a way called that i didn't think he had goat potential in him yeah and now i do but i i saw something in mahomes watching that john gruden qb yes uh the what i really liked about it was uh the way that he related to gruden in terms of just like you want somebody who can communicate really well with other people and i think that that's a, a huge deal that's helped him not only become a great quarterback with his arm but a great leader and i'll give you just two more and then we can go to break uh i thought that lamar jackson would be great I also thought that Josh Rosen would be very good. I wasn't <laughs> sure about Lamar Jackson. I probably was listening to some of the stuff out there about him of should he play quarter I'll be honest, should he play quarterback at the next level? Is he better off as a wide receiver? Blah blah blah. I was I was probably buying into that a little bit more than I should have. Deshaun Watson, I had I felt the same about him as I did about Robert Griffin because I didn't see a ton of him in college either. I saw the big games, the national championship, etc. But I didn't know he was so good at avoiding the big hits and the contact. He is really, really yeah. remarkable yep. at that. Takes as many hits as anybody, but seems to avoid the big ones that, that could take him out. we got to get to a break. And then on the other side, we are going to talk to the best draft scout in the biz. Dan Shonka of OurLads.com joins us on a special Purple Daily, part of 36 Hours of Purple, presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group, all the way through the first round of the NFL Draft tomorrow on 1500scorenorth.com and the free Score North app. 
TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Purple Daily. This has to be uh, one of the deepest classes that, that I've seen in a long time. Uh, I would say there's a whole, there's all kinds of flavor. Uh, there's speed guys. There's speed guys with returnability. Uh, there's bigger guys that are excellent route runners. But there are a lot of good options. And, and like I said, I don't think only in the first round that you can get a lot of good receivers. I think throughout this entire draft. And Vikings GM, this is Purple Daily on 1500scorenorth.com and the Score North app, a special edition part of 36 Hours of Purple here on Score North, presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. Joining us right now on Purple Daily, he is uh, over at ourlads.com, former scout with the Eagles, Redskins, and Chiefs, and they put out the Our Lads draft guide every year, and not a better guide to get you ready for the NFL draft in the business, and not a better guest to get us ready for the NFL draft in the business. Dan Shonka joins us now. Mr. Shonka, how are you this afternoon? I'm, I'm doing real good. I thought that was me talking, but I guess that was Rick. <laughs> he sounded exactly like me when I was talking about all these receivers, you know, and I go, God dang, my voice changed, you know, but uh, no, I tell you, um, uh, it, he's exactly right. I mean, this, I mean, uh, you just have to hit replay on that because that's exactly what I would have said. I mean, that's, he, he called it perfectly. Yeah, a lot of people, including my colleague Matthew Collar, think this draft is is so deep that maybe the wise thing to do for the Vikings or a handful of other teams would be to trade down, stack up picks, and increase your odds of of hitting on one of those picks. Is that is that which what you think would be a prudent move for the Vikings or or any other team that has multiple holes to fill in a deep draft like this? Well, uh, it, it does make sense, but, um, you know, if, you, if you've got a receiver that you feel like can eventually be a number one, uh, you're probably going to have to pull the trigger on him, although there are exceptions to every rule, you know, that, uh, um, you know, well, obviously, uh, Diggs, he was picked the fifth round, but that wasn't, you know, that was from some off-field stuff he had in college at Maryland. That's why he fell so far. It wasn't just that he, you know, everybody missed him. And that's the same way. Antonio Brown, for instance, he was a sixth-round pick, you know, uh, for the Steelers. And uh, But but there are good values here that you can get a little bit later. But, you know, say, for instance, you want a, a feature guy right now, um, you might have to look, you know, to that top six or seven guys to bring in. But I wouldn't. Hey, I wouldn't argue if uh, Rick said, "Hey, let's uh, trade back and get some more picks because there can be some other people to fill those holes." Like I said, Dan, when Rick Spielman talks about the flavors of the wide receivers, it's something that's really interesting to me because the different fits in a Gary Kubiak offense, um, it's it's hard to pin down exactly what they want for their. I guess it would be the number two right away, and you always hope the guy becomes a number one to go along with Adam Thielen. But in Kubiak's past offenses, he's had all sorts of different types of combinations of wide receivers. So are there guys that in your mind, if they were to pick one at 22 or 25, who would be the best fit to go along with what Gary Kubiak likes to do? Well, I think that uh, what he would like to do is get guys that, and it's not only with Gary, but they want to get guys that uh, uh, probably uh, to start out right away, you might not want to get them in a, in from a spread offense because, I mean, there's a lot of learning to do when you come out of a spread offense in college. 
which would mean the Alabama guys, for instance, the you know they're in a pro style offense. They understand a multiple alignment receiver and uh, spots and everything. And um, whereas a lot of times the spread guys are they line up on one side or the other. They don't read as much coverage. But you know that being said, um, guys that, that are ascending, I think um, are are. Uh, Guys like uh, uh, Denzel Mims from Baylor, for instance. I mean, here's a, a real speedster that he got better through the whole senior year. He got better, you know, when he went to the senior ball. He was outstanding there. He goes to combine, knocks, knocks the lights out. And then, um, you know, so he's got size. He's got speed. Uh, you know, he, he's a smart guy. So, but I think he'd certainly be under consideration. And then you got a big, strong guy like Claypool from Notre Dame, who, you know, a lot of people are putting him in the first round, which I don't know why, because he's better than other people that are mentioned in the first round. Plus, he's bigger, faster, stronger, and you could put him in the slot, use him at tight end. Hey, how would you like to see him attached to tight end, Rudolph on the other side, and then you send uh, Claypool down the middle and cover two? I mean, who the heck's going to – I mean, you you can't match up, you know? So uh, it's just – but but there's a variety there. So I think that, like, Gary's going to have his choice of uh, who he wants and uh, of the style of his particular offense. What about the offensive lineman in this draft? Is there a guy who stands out from the rest of the group, either in just that you think that they're that's more talented and ready for the next level, or that just is a good fit for the Vikings and what Gary Kubiak does up front with his own blocking scheme? Well, the the best zone blockers um, in this draft at the tackle certainly are worse from Iowa. And, I mean, you, you, you don't get any coached any better in zone than he does. Uh, the wide zone, inside zone blocking, gets good hand placement, head placement on the defender. Uh, Wills from Alabama, who I personally think, uh, he's going to obviously have to start out at tackle for somebody, but I think he's going to be an all-pro guard. I mean, I think he's a plug-and-play, all-pro guard. Uh, he's a little bit short. And the reason I say that, because I, you know, you don't want to kick all these tackles into guard. Uh, somebody's got to play out there at tackle, and uh, and he's really a stout guy. He can stop low rushes. He's got the feet. To, he plays square, pass, pro, all that good stuff. But he's just his build, his square-type build, I think he's like a sheriff that played at Iowa, you know, and then played for the Redskins and uh, – uh, he, he's kind of like that, and they definitely did the sheriff. They kicked him in at, you know, from a tackle and from college into guard, and he became an all pro. So I think that's, you know, kind of how you see it. But those, I mean, he's a, an excellent zone blocking, uh, tackle or guard versus an excellent zone. And that, so they'd fit really in that, uh, uh, wide, you know, the, the wide zone blocking scheme or the inside zone, any of that zone block where you got to get your hands on and then run with the, the uh, defender, those guys can do it. All right, so, Dan, you gave us Chase Claypool as your receiver who people should be paying more attention to. How about offensive linemen? Because where the Vikings are picking, a lot of these top guys are expected to be off the board. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. The, the big Those guys will probably be... Off, but but I think that uh, a guy like Ezra Cleveland from Boise State, uh, you know, he's going to be a second or third round guy. He's got some length to him. He's like six six, got some long arms. Uh, you know, he's going to need a little work, but he certainly, uh, I mean, he's a he's a terrific athlete. Okay, and uh, 
So he would be sitting in that uh, category. Uh, I think that uh, Jones from Houston, uh, he's another guy that's probably more athletic than violent in his play. Uh, but, um, you know, he's a guy that is very well thought of. Now, the inside guys, you know, I, I mean, you know, I know that uh, uh, co- competition at guard would probably be something, although, you know, I think Samia, we liked him when he came out of Oklahoma. We liked Eflin, uh, you know, uh, and love Bradbury. But I think more depth and competition there. But then at tackle, you know, I, I think that uh, to add a little more, competition or a good swing tackle i think cleveland might be the guy talking with dan shonka of ourlads.com best scout in the business here on purple daily part of 36 hours of purple presented by dennis kirk and the canopy group when you look at at the vikings needs heading into this draft because of either weaknesses that they had last season dan or guys who they've let go they have needs at premium positions at four of the five most important positions in in the nfl in my opinion and that's left tackle uh rush end cornerback and wide receiver is this a good draft to have those types of needs well yeah i, I think i think it, it, like you said depending on where you're picking like uh, there's so many receivers there it's going to knock other guys down uh those tackles at the top will move some other people down too you know i think that uh uh there's a, a quite a cross check uh variety you know defensive line uh, you've got some uh, a lot of later on now, the middle to later. You got a lot of blue collar type tough, maybe not stars, but guys that are good football players. I think you can get cornerbacks. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the Vikings if they're going to still look for a corner at twenty five, but um, uh, or they go. You know, they got what twenty two and twenty five, so they could go corner or receiver in there. But then a little bit later, you can go with. Uh, um, you know, safeties, or you can go with guards, or you can go with uh, some pass rushers off the edge. I mean, there's the Vikings got a lot to work with there. You know, they got a lot of picks, and uh, and you know, certainly Rick could package him up and move if he wants to. He sees a guy they really want to get, and they're close to him. Uh, they can grab him. Um, so yeah, I think I I like I said, with the exception of you know, tight end is, is not real strong in this particular draft. So that, you know, that which is not, you know, a major deal, if you, especially if you go for a two-for-one guy like a Claypool, which a lot of people think is going to go in the second round. We like him in the first. But, um, but you know, I think there's, there, there's some talent there that uh, you can get across the board and in different rounds. Well, and also if you have needs at almost every position like the Vikings, you could just go best player available and you'll probably, yeah. probably hit that. Hit um, right. Th- Dan, I wonder how you feel about the quarterback class of people not named Burrow or Tua, because uh, I follow all sorts of different people, and their mock drafts, their quarterback rankings seem to be different for everyone in number three, four, five for the quarterback class. So how do you see it? Well, I think this is an average class overall, and uh, I, I think that now we're we're not uh, – obviously there's – Every player's got holes in them, but I think you know the quarterback position this year is you know particularly uh, holy. I guess you say the religious. <laughs> I guess you know. I mean, there's they've got there, there's a, a all these. I mean, you got the big strong arm guy Eason, for instance. Uh, but man, he, he can't move his feet. He's not a very good athlete. He throws into coverage. Now, so but a guy that we like in four years ago. 
I really like this one quarterback, and I kept beating the drum for him. Nobody listened to me. It was Dak Prescott, hmm. okay? And I, I think, and then now I start to see, and I've been beating that drum, that a uh, guy that I like similarly is uh, Jalen Hurts, and yeah. now I, I see it all over everywhere now that <laughs> Jalen Hurts is like it. So, I mean, I guess somebody's listening out there. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I, I, Hurts is a, a very good athlete. He's built like a running back. He's very durable. He's played in two, uh, uh, you know, premier uh, programs in the United States when he's under pressure, unbelievable, out at Alabama and responded you know, as a freshman started there and uh, won a lot of football games. And then Tua comes in and, and has a spectacular uh, game. And then it was hard to get his job back. But he stayed there and was a backup when they needed him and, you know, beat Georgia in in, in the uh, playoff game and uh, or in the SEC championship game to get in. So, you know, uh, and then he goes to Oklahoma the first four games of the year. He hit 80% of his passes. Yep. So I, I think that – I think that I, I do – I like uh, – him fourth love he needs a lot of work i mean guys that turn the ball over like that they don't get a lot better in the nfl uh from is just a game manager guy he'll hand it off good won't probably get you beat but he won't win you many games and uh james morgan from florida international drop back guy doesn't have real good feet uh it'll be strictly a, a drop back quarterback doesn't have much mobility but he's very smart and he's got a strong nfl arm what happened to Jordan Love? Because 2018 was a, a really strong year for him, and then in 2019 he seemed to take a step back. And some some defenders of his, some apologists for Jordan Love will say, well, he lost a lot of the players around him. But you look at the number of passes of his that were that were just way off the mark and and not completable, for lack of a better term. And he was he just wasn't playing the position at a very high level. Clearly has a lot of the physical tools. Oh, and Rami, I just intercepted a Jordan Love pass as you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. he's, he's a great athlete. He can throw through from multiple arm angles and multiple platforms and on the move. What changed for him from 2018 to 2019 that his performance dropped off so bad, Dan? Well, I think you hit it on the nose. You got a lot of people apologizing for him or making excuses. But, uh, you know, I, he had a new head coach, okay, and he had uh, new receivers. He had new some new blockers up front. His, his tailback uh, is now down in Kansas City. All right, that being said, you know, you look at, uh, hey, Jalen Hurts goes in, and they had to get a whole new offensive line, you know, and they had to do, of course, they had C.D. Lamb there, which helped take a little pressure off, but they had to rotate. They had other backs in there because Sermon got hurt, and, uh, you know, so – they had to do a, he had to do a lot of different things. I think one thing about a, a great quarterback, they will elevate all the people around you. And he didn't do that. And like you said, I mean, I can't tell you how many games that I saw where he just threw the ball. I mean, he wasn't even in the same uh, area code, you know, when he's throwing the ball sometimes. And he would throw it. You know, and even at the Senior Bowl, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at. Uh, uh, I'm at the Senior Bowl and reading some of these reviews and stuff. That, and I'm wondering if these guys are saying practice that I'm at. You know what I mean? <laughs> because the, the best thing he did was cut, hit five-yard out cuts and things like he'd throw a, five, a nice five-yard slant things. But, uh, you know, or he would, uh, I mean, even on post patterns, he would throw the ball high when they're working on seven and seven, you know, in, in the red zone. He would throw the ball high there where the receiver had to really sky to get the ball. It, when nothing was ever clean. And then in the game, he's got wide open receivers that, I mean, he, they, he flat out missed them. So, um, you know, I, I, and his footwork is, is awful. 
uh, like a cow on ice a lot of times, you know, he's sliding all around. So, I, I mean, he's, you got to be able to tie in your feet with your upper body, you know. And, uh, I mean, I, I, that's coaching and stuff, too. But, you know, I just – he needs a lot of work. And, um, you know, I, and some people see some of the traits and they say, well, this guy's now a second-round guy. Well, I don't believe that. I, you know, I, I believe you've got to – first of all, you better be accurate. There's no – that number one thing, you better be accurate. You've got to get the ball out quick, and you've got to have a great synapse from your brain to your hand. And when you see it, you've got to hit it right now. So uh, I think he needs a lot of work. But how do you feel about him, Dan? Because I don't think you made it clear of there. <laughs> Actually, no, well, I mean – Somebody's going to take him. We have uh, we have Sage Rosenfels, former NFL quarterback, on our station every other day, and we've done you know some film breakdowns with him, and he's had a lot of the same exact concerns that you laid out there for Jordan Love, and I just don't get it. I wonder if he's the guy that's the smokescreen this year that everyone's hyped up as a first round pick, and then we're all like, wait, he went in the third round or something. Um, Last thing for you, Dan, the Gophers players, they've got some good ones. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. has made a lot of noise here in the pre-draft, um, and some people think he could even be a late first-round pick. And Tyler Johnson seems to be very controversial among uh, people who study the draft closely. So what is your take on those two Gophers? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know uh, you know what t- uh, Tyler, because in the offseason, you know, he was invited to the East-West All-Star game and then didn't play in it. And yeah. then he then he kind of had a chance to go to the Senior Bowl and didn't play, and uh, I just I, I mean I don't I don't I don't understand it. But like I said, he and then you, there's games you'll see where this guy's absolutely spectacular. I mean he mm-hmm. well his bowl game his bowl game friends you couldn't yeah. do anything. He said broke all kinds of records. But then you know I looked at him for three years because we live here in Cedar Rapids, so we see all the Big Ten teams uh, all the time, and, and uh, I really like Coach Fleck, so I, like, I watch a lot of gopher football, and uh, I mean, so I've seen him drop, you know, that easy slant pattern, or, you know, and, and things like that, or he'd make that great catch in the slant and then take off, uh, but he dropped a lot of, he dropped a lot of balls, um, you know, I think there were concentration drops, I don't think it was his hand drops, but anyway, I, I think that um, he's probably going to go, and we don't know what he can run. We did get his measurables at the combine, but, you know, we don't expect him to be a burner, but uh, a guy that is going to make a, a team probably as a fourth or fifth round receiver. Dan, a lot of a lot of draft guys who I'd bring on a show, I'd ask him this question and feel like, ah, am I putting him on the spot? But I, I know you're ready. I know you're locked and loaded for this question I'm about to ask, and that's it's why you're the best in the biz. Give me an interior offensive lineman who the Vikings could find in a mid to late round who you think would be a steal and pretty close to being NFL ready. I mean, this isn't even hard for Dan. You need, this is like a this is like a three out of ten difficulty question for this man. Bring give me a tough question. Uh, now I'll tell you there's a there's a couple I'm gonna give you. How about that? Please. Uh, I like I like a guy named Kevin Dotson out of Louisiana. Um, he's a six, four, he got, in fact, when I saw him at the East West Shrine Bowl, he was, uh, in practice. I go, Kevin, what do you do with the rest of your body? He, Cause he's not about three ten, and he played three twenty four, and he just looked like a, you know, an NFL guard and he's got big hands, long arms, tough guy, smart guy. In fact, here's, here's, here's a trivia question for you. This kid started on the varsity in high school 
in sixth grade. Oh my god! I mean, he what? He's a, this, this guy is this guy. You talk about country strong now. I mean, he and Paul Bunyan could uh, have an arm wrestling thing, and uh, he'd probably beat Paul Bunyan. You know, but I mean, he's tough, uh, and he's probably going to go. You know, in the the fifth round, maybe fourth. But um, and here's a guy that didn't even go to the combine. Didn't even go to the I mean, the scouts that go through there ought to be fired because uh, the, the combine scouts, because this guy's a terrific football player. And then a guy that's really interesting who played tackle over at Ball State, uh, we kicked him in the guard because he's a terrific athlete. Is a kid named Danny Pinter, and uh, he he's um, – uh, he, I, I didn't really like him out at guard m- much uh, because I just think he was asked to do some things that, you know, he, he was just uh, – not ready for maybe, but you, you kick him in the guard. He's such a good athlete, and he moves around well, uh, like him, like in, in the fifth round also. But, you know, there's guys like uh, Yasir Durant from Missouri. He, he Here's a big, wide-bodied guy that's got long arms, smart, good feet, a, a tackle. guy named uh, Paolo out of uh, Utah, tougher than nails, uh, very physical guy, and, uh, and he didn't go to the combine. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable that a guy like this or, or uh, Dotson uh, didn't get invited to come, which, which is good for, you know, Minnesota because they do a great job of scouting and uh, they're going to know those guys. So they're going to get some steals and, man, there's a few of them for you. That is Dan Shanka, best in the business. I'm going to keep on saying it. Find him at OurLads.com. Follow him on Twitter at OurLadsShanka. And uh, if you haven't gotten it already, put a rush order in for the Our Lads draft guide. Always a pleasure, Mr. Shanka. Thank you so much for the time. You guys, and, and here's the other thing we did because of the virus situation and all that. We've got, you know, they can get the online copy. They, they just go to ourlads.com, uh, or call, give a call at 1-800-PRO-DRAFT. And, uh, they, we can, we got a, uh, you know, PDF copy that we'll send right out to them too. So you can get it, hey, time for the draft. But anyway, guys, hey, great being with you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. You're the lot, best, Dan. Dan. Appreciate it. So good. So good. And you're right, Collar. He is the best. That was not that wasn't a hard question for him. That would be a hard no, question easy. for a lot of guys who will put draft expert in their Twitter bio. For him, that was that was remedial remedial. That was like that was one oh one for him to ask for an, an interior offensive lineman who they can find deep in the draft and is close to NFL ready. Uh you know what? I felt great about myself because I was thinking at your question. I wonder if he's gonna bring up Danny Pinter. And he did. So now I am an expert. He played on varsity in sixth grade? No, that was uh, Dotson. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. The other guy from Louisiana. How does anybody play varsity in sixth grade? I have no idea. Very small school. What are they feeding people? (laughs) What are are people feeding their children that you're varsity ready in the sixth grade? That's crazy. I've never even heard of that (laughs) in any sport. Well... Draft him. Draft him. If he's there, draft him. We did have a kid in my high school who grew really, really fast at like fifth or sixth grade and was probably 6'2 by the time we entered junior high. So, I mean, every school has one, but I don't think I've ever heard of that. I mean, I've heard of 
people playing basketball by seventh or eighth grade on varsity, but I don't think I've ever heard of sixth grade. That's wild. I mean, I was I was big, believe it or not, Collar. I, you you see the height I am now. I'm five eight on a good day when I have like perfect posture and I'm standing up straight. Um, but at one point I was the I was the tallest kid, and I was always like husky, uh, for lack of a better term, for fat. Uh, I was I was like the tallest, biggest kid in my class up until seventh eighth grade. Kids started catching up to. I was like five six. And close to two hundred pounds by the eighth by the eighth grade. Like I was, I was like an ogre of a child, and then eventually I just stopped growing vertically and kept growing horizontally. And people blew right by me in every in every way, shape. Yeah, and form. I went from ninth grade. I was probably like five foot eight or something to. In tenth grade or tenth or eleventh, somewhere around like six one. You're like so Scotty Pippen. I I did have one of those. It was a little bit later on, but I did have one of those. All of a sudden, became very tall and skinny. We spent twenty five minutes with that dude, and I could spend another twenty five minutes with that dude He's talking draft. So good. Check out ourlads.com, and you heard him say, "Go to ourlads.com if you want a uh, PDF." Uh, electronic Just so with version, him on Jordan version. Love, by the way. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's but fine. Like, so with him. There is a guy every year. I'm not going to lie. I'm where, intrigued. Where I just am like, I don't get it. I don't see what all these people are talking about. And, you know, when somebody throws that many interceptions, it's very, very rare that they become a good player in the NFL. And all of, like, Pro Football Focus's studies have found that your negative plays are the ones that tend to carry over as a quarterback. So then you're going to take with a first-round draft pick and put all your eggs in the basket of a quarterback who has all these negative plays? That just it just doesn't make sense to me, and I still like the idea. Do you think he can be molded and coached up, and some of some of the some of the stuff coached out of him? But how often does it happen? Like we were just talking about all those quarterbacks that made it and the quarterbacks who didn't make it. I mean, how often does it happen where somebody is very raw and has all these huge criticisms and holes in their game, and then we go, "Oh no!" But you know what? He turned out to be a great quarterback. I just can't remember too many examples of that. Special evening of Purple Daily here on Score North, part of 36 Hours of Purple, presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group on 1500 scorenorth.com and the Score North app. And Collar and I are back right after this on 1500 scorenorth.com and that Score North app. Purple Daily, special edition on Score North on 1500, scorenorth.com, and the Score North app presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. 36 hours straight of Purple Talk all the way through the first round of the NFL draft. I know I'll be part of uh, the vent line. I, I got to check the schedule. I think tomorrow. Am I part of vent line? I don't know. You guys wouldn't know. I think I'm part of vent line tomorrow. And then I have an extra hour of Mackie and Judd with Rami tomorrow night. Leroy Butler is going to join us at at uh, 6 o'clock tomorrow night to uh, give us a view of what the Minnesota Vikings might be, or the Minnesota Vikings, the Green Bay Packers might be doing in the draft. Collar, we started off the show talking about what might be some of the best, wisest, most prudent moves that the Vikings could make in the NFL draft. How could this thing go very, very wrong, Matthew Collar? What what if you're watching tomorrow? Are you gonna look at it and go, what what the hell was why why'd they do that? Well, I was trying to think like what position would make you go, what the and a running back is pretty obvious. Even if Delvin Cook called you up right before the draft and said, Hey Rick, 
go bleep yourself. I am never signing with you. I am never, ever playing here. Even if he said that, you wouldn't draft a running back in the first round because you have so many other needs and the positional value is just not there. Is this a right, are there running backs with a first-round grade in this draft? There are draft? a couple. DeAndre okay. Swift is one that has been talked about as potentially, and Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. There's a couple other guys. J.K. Dobbins from Clemson. All potential first-round picks or first-round talents at least, but there's no chance. Even if... Delvin says, I'm never playing another down as a Viking, which is not going to happen either. But even in that scenario, you wouldn't take one in the first round because there's better positional value. So throw that out. Linebacker is not going to happen. You have Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr. Those guys aren't going anywhere. So Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray, sorry, you're not being picked by the Vikings at 22 or 25. So those, those aren't even possible. So I won't include those. But I will give you a scenario where I would go, why you did who, what? Um, which would be a defensive tackle, even if, or even a defensive end. If uh, Javon Kinlaw dropped, who's a dominant type of defensive tackle, or they liked Ross Blacklock a lot, or uh, uh, Eater Gross Matos, or Caleb on Chase on any of those guys, if they drafted them at 22, I would be really, really surprised. And it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to me because throughout the Mike Zimmer era, They've done a tremendous job of developing talent at defensive end and to spend that high of a draft pick on an area where you are proven to be great at developing just would not add up to me. Like Everson Griffin, when Mike Zimmer got here as a rotational pass rusher who was a fourth round pick from USC, that was a kind of a disappointment considering he came out of high school as one of the best players in the country and just sort of never lived up to it. And by the time Mike Zimmer is done with Everson Griffin, he's one of the best edge rushers to ever play for the Minnesota Vikings. And, you know, Daniil Hunter is a third round pick. Steven Weatherly got a pretty darn nice contract in Carolina, developed under Mike Zimmer. Afadi Adenabo, seven sacks last year, seventh round pick who was cut twice. It would be preposterous to spend a first round pick, especially when a lot of those guys are boom or bust. Now, Kinlaw looks like he's going to be a great player, but, you know, someone like Gross Matos or Caleb on Chase on, eh, you know, it's not like these are the next Khalil Mack level of prospect. Yeah, I so was going to say, that if would I not saw, be a good pick for me. I saw a, a premier pass rusher fall to you somehow at number 22 or 25. That's that's hard to pass up, man, because as I keep saying, you can rank them however you want, but after quarterback, the most important positions in the NFL in 2020 are the guys who cover the quarterback's backside, the guy who chases down quarterbacks, the guy who he throws it to, and the guy who tries to stop that from being complete. So in other words, left tackles, yeah. pass rushers, wide receivers, and cornerbacks are the premium positions in the NFL yep. after quarterback. So if a surefire almost no doubt pass rusher fell to you somehow at 22 or 25, but they don't because they're that important. I, I I wouldn't fault them for taking it, but the guys that you just named off and the way that you describe them, it doesn't sound like that's that's even a possibility of that a Khalil Mack or even a Jadavion Clowney type of pass rusher falling falling to you at twenty two or twenty five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what I think that is the difference between those two. Now, I'm, positional value is probably close. Guys who can rush the passer and corners. The problem with corners is that you can't rotate in four guys who can cover one spot who have different skills and and that work for you like you need to have two corners who start and play all the time and a nickel corner who starts and plays nickel all the time to be great at it and more likely than not 
I mean, you only have, I mean, each team only has like one guy who's even very good at it. And then you hope you can have be average in those other positions. Even the Super Bowl winning team, um, you know, they kind of had Tyron Matthews, a very unique player that helped cover up some of those things, but they had one corner who was pretty good. And then the other guys average and they were doing the best they could. Um, and so I think that, uh, with a defensive end, there are 20 guys in every free agent class who are rotational pass rushers that you pick up that are old pros like Adrian Claiborne or Vinnie Curry who could come in. Terrell Suggs did this last year for Kansas City. Just rush on third down and create some serious pressure for you, and then you can rotate in. This guy is on first down. This guy's on third down. That kind of thing. You can't do that with corners. So if they were uh, able to draft a corner but kind of left the defensive end open, they can rush with a Fadi Adenabo. They can sign some other guy who's still a free agent. There's a handful of free agent defensive rushers who are proven and guys who have created pressure in the past. Um, you can't do that with corner. Um, so I, I, I would be pretty down on a pick that was a defensive end if the Vikings decide to go there. And even a defensive tackle at that pick, uh, it would be you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that that was a good idea. I'd be it would it would make sense to me in the second or third round with with five picks with five picks in the first three rounds and holes at all those premium positions that we just listed off in some in some form or another it's it's a need to some degree all those premium positions we just listed off if and I wouldn't reach for one but if if a defensive end made sense at the spot on the board at any one of those other three picks that they have in rounds two through three, I would, I would, I'd be okay with that. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. That, that when you get to there, I think you much more want to take like position of need, but say someone like Terrell Lewis from Alabama is there. Terrell Lewis is more of a project, but if you actually stood him next to Daniil Hunter, they would look pretty similar in terms of their height, weight, um, some of their athletic things that they did at the combine, very similar. And so he's more of a more of a project or more of a guy that uh, had some injury concerns. You would pick him in the third round every time because that guy could make a huge difference for you in the future. A first round pick when you need corners and receivers and offensive tackles and even uh, if the top guard is there, you might want to take him. Caesar Ruiz would be a, a decent pick at twenty five, or if you traded down, defensive end is way down on my list. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Also. I don't think that trading up makes a whole lot of sense for the Vikings either because putting all your eggs in one player's basket when you have a lot of needs. I mean, we see this all the time. Great teams, um, or, or I'm sorry, uh, bad teams who have great players, right? Like, t- So take uh, the Los Angeles Rams last year. Aaron Donald is about as good as anyone in the NFL last year. And what did it mean for them? I mean... You know, he's great, and I'm sure they would have been worse without him, but they weren't really getting over the hump because of that player. That's not to say he's not an all-time great player at his position. He is. Uh, but if you were putting all your eggs in a basket to get one great player versus trying to get a lot of good players, you're going to win with a lot of good players over a couple uh Great players all the time, I think. If if you didn't just sign Kirk Cousins to the contract that you just signed him to and they moved up to get, a, I'm not even going to say Tua, but a player like Tua, if you, if you thought you had your next great quarterback and you were going up yep. to get that, yep. okay. If there was a wide receiver who was like a Calvin Johnson or a Julio Jones coming out and you moved up to get that, all right, that makes sense. If you could get up to a spot to get a Chase Young and the importance of pass rushers like we just talked about or somebody who's NFL ready and makes an impact the day he steps on an NFL field, 
okay. But everything that I've heard from you, I've read from guys like Dan Shanka and other draft scouting experts. I I don't see any any type of any type of player like that at one of those premium positions who steps on the field is NFL ready and makes an impact in week one. So because of that, I agree with you that it doesn't make sense for the Vikings to trade up given what they need and and what's on the board at least realistically where they can they can move up with the assets that they have i i don't see i don't see a move like that making sense for the vikings at this point yeah and think of it this way if i were to tell you you could have jeff akuda or you can have jalen johnson and i don't know um aj terrell you can have those two guys or you can have that one guy like which would you take? I th- I would easily take the two corners who are really good prospects as opposed to the one who is a great prospect because guess what? They don't throw it against just one guy. <laughs> you know? I mean and th- and that is how I think of defense and why the Vikings have been so good on defense is that even when they've had weaknesses, they've usually been filled by a very, very good player. So Tom Johnson for a long time at three technique defensive tackle, Andrew Sandejo, and then Anthony Harris takes over for him. And, uh, you know, last year we, we saw what happens when you have even one terrible player. And Xavier Rhodes, for as great as he was in 2016, 2017, was terrible last season. And guess what teams did to him? Attack, 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 attack. So I, I would want to trade back, get more players, get more shots at getting good players, and because I already have great players also. And sometimes the guys who you think are going to be good become great. But you already have great players. Harrison Smith, Daniel Hunter, Adam Thielen, uh, and uh, you know your quarterback is very good, Delvin Cook. So I'm looking to fill around those guys to create a complete roster, as opposed to trying to say, no, no, we're only one player away. In basketball, you could be one player away, right. and at quarterback, you could be one player away. But I don't know that it's any other position. And even with your Julio Jones example. I would say that the trade that Atlanta made was probably not a good one, even though it's worked out for them. And Julio Jones is one of the great receivers of all time. But at the time of the trade, I would have said, okay, I know this guy's unreal, but that's just too much to give up for one wide receiver that you hope carries you. That's a special dude, though, man. I don't think he's even been used to his to his full ability or full potential. I th- I think Julio Jones has somewhat gone wasted there in Atlanta. I think I think he really is is a freak of nature and the the lack of targets that he gets in the end zone and in the red zone is just mind-boggling to me. Collar year after year after year I hear I hear coming out of Atlanta Julio Jones getting almost no targets in the end zone or in the red zone, and that makes absolutely zero sense to me. The guy is six foot thirteen. He can jump eighty feet in the air. He's got hands the size of my feet. Like there's no reason why that and he can he can run like the wind. There's no reason that guy should not be getting targeted every time that you get into the red zone. Just throw it up and either he's gonna catch it or nobody is. I, I really think Julio Jones could have a much better NFL resume at this point in his career than what he's had so far in Atlanta and it's been pretty damn good yeah he's one of the best receivers of all time in my mind they could have gotten him a few more touchdowns for your fantasy team but you know in terms of his overall impact on an organization it has been uh incredible 
And of course, Matt Ryan has a lot to do with that because they've had a very good quarterback. But I'll give you the opposite example uh, of somebody who is a wide receiver who is selected in the same spot as Julio Jones that people thought was going to be a complete franchise changer and meant nothing, which is Sammy Watkins for the Buffalo Bills. They traded up to the fourth overall pick and they talked about this guy is a huge difference maker and everything else and he's got all this skill and he's unbelievable and he's been good. He's been a good player, but he didn't make much of a difference for that franchise in changing them and it proved to be a huge mistake because they gave up another first round pick to move up and you know, I mean, I, just looking who, through how random and weird the receiver position is, how about 2013 where Tavon Austin is taken way ahead of DeAndre Hopkins and Cordero Patterson is taken way ahead of Robert Woods? It's like every year these positions can be so random that you shouldn't believe in yourself. Even when you see a Julio Jones, and as great as he is, you should not believe in yourself that he's going to be that great. That one worked out for the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of times it does not. So if I was the Vikings looking at this draft, and even if you are saying, boy, it's Henry Ruggs. I've never seen anybody like him. I'm sure he'll be fine with the Cleveland Browns or whatever because uh, trading up is too risky. If, if you blow that, then you're out a first rounder for the next year or you're out your second first rounder or another second round pick where you could have gotten somebody else who's a solid prospect. Uh, at the start of the show, Collar, I want to get this in before we wrap things up. We met, you brought up that Mel Kuyper had basically laid his career on the line. Yes, in, yeah. In Jonathan dug it up, yes. I his bring assessment that up. of Jimmy Clausen. Yeah. Jonathan dug this up and sent this to us from uh, SB Nation. This was the exchange between Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. Mel Kuyper said, if Jimmy Clausen is not a successful quarterback in the NFL, I'm done. That's it. I'm out. McShay said, what is your time frame, Mel? When do we make that assessment? Kuyper, really trying to to pad it, said eight years. I want eight years. McShay said, it will only take three years, Mel. We can tell inside three years. Kuyper said, I want eight. McShay was right on the money because he was drafted in 2015, and by 2018, Jimmy Clausen was out of the league. He was He's not in the NFL anymore. It took exactly three years, as Todd McShay had predicted, to assess Jimmy Clausen fully and realize he's not an NFL quarterback, not not a not a front line starter, not even a backup. He is not an NFL quarterback. I, I'm sorry, of any Rami, kind. you made a mistake in talking about Jimmy Clausen. You didn't call him former Bears quarterback Jimmy Clausen. That was the mistake that you made. I know him as former Panthers quarterback. He's, Jimmy Clausen. He was zero and one as a Chicago I know. Bears I know. Uh, with a uh, let's see. Um, a total of 223 passing yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. So not that bad. One of the best, actually, maybe in history. Sorry. Uh, Jimmy Clausen's career is one of the worst in NFL history, like hands down. He went 1-13 with a 61.9 quarterback rating. Even as a second-round pick, how is it even possible to go 1-13? Now, it was a horrible Carolina team that tanked and finished last and drafted Cam Newton and changed their entire you know history after that. But you would think someone, even with his hype coming out of high school and, and in his final year at Notre Dame, would have gotten other shots, and he did, and was just so bad. Oh, I'm sorry, he was 0-2 as a Bears quarterback. My mistake. 
I didn't ask that. Yeah. I didn't need you to clarify. 0-2 with a 65.9 quarterback rating, which, again, ranks like fourth in Bears history. Speaking of of the Bears, and we've been going around the (laughs) NFC North this week on Score North Live, which, by the way, if you've never heard it, it's weekdays, noon to two. It's me and a rotating cast of Score North personalities, including Matthew Collar. He'll be on the show tomorrow from 1230 until 2 o'clock to close things out. We've uh, been going around the NFC North. We've had a guest on from Detroit, had a guest on from Chicago. Tomorrow we'll have uh, former Packers running back, my former co-host, Gary Ellerson. He's going to join us right when you jump in at 1230, Collar. When you look around the NFC North, who do you see? I guess we can exclude the Lions from this conversation entirely. But the the team that can help themselves the most and make the biggest moves in terms of what holes they have, the strengths in this draft, the number of picks that they have, where those picks land, who do you think has the most the most to gain, the most room to improve in this draft in the division? See, if the Lions weren't so foolish and just so Lionsy, they're always just the Lions. But if they weren't, if you just gave me this team on paper, told me where they were drafting, what their situation was, I'd say, wait, is that uh, is that twenty nineteen San Francisco 49ers? A team whose quarterback got hurt but has a lot of talent that they've been building up for years and has a high draft pick where they could get a game-changing player in year one? Well, that looks like them. Uh, but since it's the Lions, then you know it's very hard to put them down and say, oh, they'll be a contender next year because everyone hates their head coach. They seem to have no real direction for themselves and just make moves by swinging in the dark constantly. But in terms of their roster, they've got players. They've got a good quarterback. I mean, their two wide receivers, Galladay and Marvin Jones, are very, very good. And they've spent a lot on the offensive line, which should be better than it is. And they've spent a lot on the defensive side, which should be better than it is. And now you have the opportunity to add a special player. Or you could trade down and get a couple of special players, possibly. On paper, that team should be dangerous to the Minnesota Vikings. But I could never push that you know, take into the middle of the table and say, I am buying Detroit stock this year, everyone, because we were, you know. we were talking to Jeff Rieger from 97 won the ticket the other day on the show. He was our he was our Detroit contingent as we make our tour around the NFC North. And the way that he describes that Lions organization from top to bottom, from Matt Patricia, the head coach, to the GM, to Martha Ford, the 97-year-old owner of the team, who's apparently still has final say on football decisions. I mean, shout out Martha for that, though. For, for sure. I hope, I, I hope I'm coherent enough to just sign a piece of paper by the time I'm 97 years old, much less sign off on major football decisions. But that just doesn't sound like a cohesive or or prudent way to run an organization the way that the way that the lions are run just seems just seems chaotic and like they have no no direction nobody yep. nobody who nobody is really in charge or has total say and it it just seems like a complete and total cluster up there in Detroit right now yeah, Tyler. yeah. even even with like you said a pretty talented roster it seems like a complete cluster right if now if jim caldwell was still their head coach i'd say they're dangerous for next year um if they get say jeff okuda or if they somehow got chase young and tua was drafted number 2 overall which you know i don't think is going to happen but it could happen or if they traded down and got an offensive lineman and you know, something else and continued to stack up, got another wide receiver to go along with those weapons for Matt Stafford. I mean, they, 
they could be very dangerous. But at this point, they might draft a running back. Like, who knows? They are so <laughs> clueless that you just have no idea what they're going to do. And then as soon as anybody leaves them, they, they talk about how Matt Patricia is a tyrant and a fool and is disrespectful toward his players. And, and that is just none of that points toward you're going to be winning, you're going to be a legitimate contender for next season. But then, you know, you look at the Packers and their draft capital and Chicago – and they don't have any draft picks. Um, they have two picks in the second round, and then I think they don't have another pick till the the fourth or maybe even the fifth. Yeah, they are very, very short on draft capital, so they're not even worth talking about for night one. Um, and with Chicago, you know, it really feels like the Nick Foles move is the softest type of approach that they possibly could have taken when there were opportunities to go all in. Even though I don't believe in Jameis Winston or like him at all as a starting quarterback, I think he's a disaster. But would it have been a better idea to take somebody who could possibly throw for 5,000 yards? That's more of a boom or bust move yeah. at the quarterback position. Yeah. Like he, he, yeah, he'll probably throw a bunch of interceptions, but maybe the guy comes in and throws 50 touchdowns and has another 4,000 yard yeah. season because he's, he's had a few of those already. Like there, there is something there in Jameis Winston that just needs to be harnessed and reined in and Matt Nagy fancies himself a quarterback whisperer yeah. and some kind of offensive genius, well then take Jameis Winston and mold him. Or yeah. take Cam Newton and and, yes. and squeeze whatever whatever juice yes. is still in that or, lemon. Like Nick Foles just seems like a very middle like the best Nick Foles that you're gonna get is middle of the road, won't lose games for you, but won't win games for you either. And it sounds like Teddy Bridgewater was ready to put his name on That's the right. dotted I line and then they told that. him, Oh yeah, you have to compete with Mitch Trubisky and he went like mm, no I'm not doing that. I'm not going somewhere to compete. It there are moves in the NFL. I I can put them into essentially two buckets. There are moves to go 9 and 7 and there are moves to go 13 and 3. And getting Nick Foles is a move to go 9 and 7. It's to try to save your butt and get a little bit more out of the quarterback position than you did last year and hope your defense carries you and that none of that screams to me we're going to try to win a Super Bowl. And I know Nick Foles won a Super Bowl with one of the craziest hot runs in NFL history, but that's not what his career says who Nick Foles really is. Cam Newton would have been a move to go 13 and 3 because if that one clicks and it's old Cam Newton and he's healthy, then the Chicago Bears go 13 and 3 because the defense is going to be good and you know they could add some weapons. And Cam is going to do it all himself if he is back to 100% healthy. Of course, if it blows up, you know, you still are bad with Mitch Trubisky. You were bad with Mitch Trubisky to start with. But with Nick Foles, you know that you know, your ceiling of that type of move with those players, that that is not the 2017 Eagles offense that you are dropping into in terms of talent. The Eagles offensive line was... You know, almost as good as what they had in Dallas in the 90s. I and mean, they were unbelievable that year. Elshon Jeffrey is incredible. Nelson Aguilar could catch the ball. I mean, it was, it was really, a, and then Zach Ertz was fantastic. Really a special year that he was dropped into. And then that's not going to happen again. So the Bears to me are just not really that relevant. And, uh, Green Bay, if they don't get a weapon, I think that, uh, some people are going to burn down that stadium. <laughs> I can tell you from talking to some people back there that they're ready to riot if they don't get Aaron Rodgers some weapons to throw the football to. They'd had their fill yes. of Jimmy Graham, yes. although the Bears apparently saw something they liked there to pay him $16 million. 
but they, they Packers fans have just had enough with with what's around Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams is a great wide receiver, but that's all that they got there right now in terms of name value and top notch talent at the wide receiver position. Uh, Packers fans are are ready to to descend upon Lambeau Field with their torches if they don't get Aaron Rodgers some weapons this year. Yeah, no, and and in a draft where you have all sorts of good wide receivers, if you ignore it, people are going to be even more upset. This has been a special Purple Daily, part of 36 Hours of Purple, presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group, presenting 36 straight hours of Purple Talk all the way through the first round of the NFL Draft. 1500scorenorth.com and the free Score North app. Collar and I will be all over these airwaves and those outlets tomorrow as 36 Hours of Purple continues on 1500scorenorth.com and the Score North app. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.